through the book in the Bible that the devil has scared everybody out of, and yet if you didn't figure out last week why he does that, well, you're certainly going to see it again this week, so let's stand and let's read from chapter 5. John says here, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, we saw that last week, but today he says, I, I saw a scroll written inside and on the back. Sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. No doubt it went all the way across the heavens. And, and he's saying, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one. Can you say no one? Because no one was found worthy to open and read it, the scroll. Not even to look at it. But. And Father, we thank you that. Lord, these butts that are in here, they declare something totally opposite. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear this morning where your Spirit wants to speak to our hearts. Lord, give us minds that are focused and, and awake and not sleepy, that can grasp the greatness of what you desire to do in each one of our hearts this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. If you can be seated, if the church of Laodicea is the hardest passage to teach in the entire Bible, this one here is probably one of the greatest. Last week in chapter four, we went to heaven so you could imagine without that big number five because chapter four runs right into chapter five. He's there. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, we saw after these things, after the church age has gone and the, before the tribulation takes place, we find the church in heaven. So did you think on those things last week, those things we saw in chapter 4? Did you fix your mind on those images about the throne, the one who sat on the throne? I hope so. Because the place is real, and plus, when you get there, you don't want to ask questions like, hey, what's that colored ark thing over there? Is there a McDonald's in heaven? I mean, you kind of look kind of silly. So we want to grasp these things. And what about that big chair over there, and who's sitting on it? Oh, you didn't read your Bible, did you? I mean, I mean we don't want to be like that. But we saw answers to those questions in chapter 4, and today we're heading into even a greater look as to what awaits you and me. And so I hope we can see why the devil tries overtime to keep the church out of the book of Revelation. It's, it's one of his best kept secrets. It's so scary. You're never going to understand it, so why even read it? Is there anything that hasn't been able to be understood so far? No, it's there. 
Those are his lies. So are you ready to be blessed as you hear the word of God this morning? I hope so. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed are those who hear. You ready to be blessed for those who read it? We did. We just read a few of it. If you've read ahead, because we're Calvary Chapel, that's my plug, and we do read ahead, well, then you're already blessed just for reading ahead, because we saw that in chapter 1, verse 3. And if you will grab what's here and put it into practice, you listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, and you do what he says, you'll be triply blessed, and you'll become a triple threat to the devil as you are blessed for hearing it, for reading it, and for doing it, and you will be a threat to the, his kingdom. And for what? I don't know, by allowing the Spirit of God to bring the Word of God alive in your hearts, and then you do it. It's not complicated. Now, not only do we get great insight into seeing Jesus and his plan unfold on what heaven is like as we travel through this book, we also get to see the end of the movie before the movie even begins. That's kind of cool, ain't it? You know, I think it is. Think about this. If you're going to go buy lottery tickets tomorrow and you could see the end and know you're going to win, would you buy them? Oh, not me, pastor. That's gambling. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> you would buy them. You, the question would be, how many am I going to buy? Well, that's how it is in Revelation 5. We get a glimpse at what's going to happen before we even get there. We get to see the one who's going to redeem us. We get to see the one who's going to set it all straight and buy it all back before we even get there. That's where we are as we start verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Remember that throne from last week in chapter 4 and one who sat on it? So John writes, I, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back. So not a typical scroll. A typical scroll would only be written on one side. So this one has writing on the front and the back. And it's sealed with seven seals. Nice official Roman document. Then I saw a strong angel. I guess there's weak ones. I, I don't know, but that's what it says. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, asking the question of all questions, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Man, that's the question of the ages. Who? Who is worthy? Who is able? Notice it does not say who is willing. Many have been willing. Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Genghis Khan, Mao, Hitler, Obama, Clinton, many have been willing. There's been a lot of people who have said, I want to be in power, but the angel is saying, who is worthy? Big difference between willing and worthy. And no one. Can you say no one? And no one. In heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Don't miss this. We all got to catch this. Repeated words in verses 3 and 4, so we get it. No one was worthy to open it, and no one was worthy enough to even look at it. Okay, that's all the farther we're going to go for today. No, I'm kidding. Commercial break right here. You ever feel like you're not worthy, like your flesh lies to you? You're not worthy. You're not a worthy Christian. Or maybe the devil shoots an arrow at you. 
Hey, you're not worthy. Hey, let me help you here. As I pray, the Holy Spirit opens your understanding. You'll never be worthy. Because there's no one worthy in heaven or on earth. The question, here it is, we see it. Who, who on heaven and earth is, is worthy? You have your Bible, what does it say? First three words, verse three. What's it say? And no one. Church, please, force the devil to take that piece of tackle out of his tackle box so he can't use it against you. Now, this does not mean you have low self-esteem if you know you are not worthy. This means you know the truth about yourself and the truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So now you can rest here, team, for there was no one found worthy. See, that puts all of us on the same page. See, you can't look down on others and say, well, they're not worthy. Oh, okay, Pharisee. I mean, that's what the Pharisees thought. They were worthy and all others were not. You can read Matthew chapter 23 and see what Jesus thinks about that. He calls them a bunch of whitewashed tombs and, and, and brood of vipers and just a host of names there. You don't make yourself worthy. No one's any more worthy than the other. Salvation is a free gift. Upon thinking that no one is worthy, the tears begin to flow as John realizes that God's plan's going to be hindered, possibly even stopped. And so he says here in verse 4, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Can you understand why he's out of control weeping here? He's not on national television hearing the question, looking for the solution. He's in the very presence of God Almighty. Who is worthy? No one is worthy. Can you imagine? See, we can't because we got the answer. But here's what you need to understand. We got to kind of slide into his shoes here. He hasn't written the book yet. He doesn't know the answer. We do. He doesn't. And no answer comes. Who's worthy? Dead silent. He knew it was his sin as well as every other man's sin that had separated him from God and that no man could ever redeem himself, let alone the world. And for this extremely brief moment in heaven, John is hopeless. It's hopeless. So what is this scroll that's sealed with seven seals? Well, if you would have asked me a few years ago, I used to know. <laughs> now I don't know anymore. There's too many possibilities. No one really knows for sure. If someone says, hey, this is what it is, how do they know? Were they there? Did they ask God? You got to be careful about guys that are going to be so dogmatic about that stuff. The older I get, the less I know. Some would say it's the title deed to the earth. I like that idea. Is it true? I don't know. Others would say it's God's will, like, you know, you have a family will, and I like that idea also, but what it is for sure, no one really knows. But I do know this, though. When John saw the scroll in the right hand of the one who sat on the throne and it was all sealed up with seven seals, and no one in all of God's creation was found worthy to open it, let alone look in it, John wept, but not just wept, it says he wept much. Again, see why the devil wants to keep the Christian out of the book? I mean, it screams at us that God won and he lost. The devil doesn't want us to think about that. He wants to think he won and God lost. 
And yet God's the one holding the scroll in verse 1. No one is worthy to open or look at it, verses 3 and 4. And John is weeping. This much implies not only the shedding of some tears, but some intense pain and grief as well. Remember, he's in heaven watching this whole event unfold. And I believe, don't stone me, this is what I believe. I believe we're going to be in heaven watching this same scene unfold as well. I stand alone here. I don't know. I didn't go look and read every single commentary on the planet. But I believe we're going to see this whole event unfold. Why? Well, because we're in heaven in chapter 4. And if we're chronological here from 4 to 5, we're already there. So you might want to take some notes here. If you take notes, you'll save yourself some tears. Because you're going to know the answer to the question. Because see, if you cheat and look ahead to chapter 6, as the seals are being removed off this scroll, the Antichrist comes on the scene. First seal, boom, Antichrist. It's not Jesus Christ. No, he's the Antichrist. Has to look like Jesus, but he's the Antichrist. See, I'm planning on him being safely tucked away in heaven before any of this takes place. So why is John crying then? Well, again, if you go back to chapter 6, look at verse 1. Seal number 1's open. Verse 3, seal number 2's open. Verse 5, the third seal's open. Verse 7, the fourth seal's open. Verse 9, the fifth seal's open. Verse 12, the sixth seal's open. You're going to have to go all the way to chapter 8, verse 1, and you'll see that the seventh seal is open. See, I believe John is weeping much because if no one was found worthy to look at this scroll or to open it, God's timeline of mankind events stops. Can't go forward. Everything on this earth continues how it is forever and ever. Nothing can go. It's just, it's at an impasse. So just project our, year, our, our world out for another 100 years. How great is that going to be? I'd weep much. I mean, think about this team. We might actually see this event take place in book form today. I don't know if we will. If we do... Get it down. Get the details down. So when we see it live in heaven before all hell breaks loose on this earth, you don't have to weep much like John did because you already know the answer. See, John doesn't know. The, the question was so overwhelming, he's weeping, he has no idea. You know, like when a cult knocks on your door and says something and all of a sudden you know the answer but you can't think of the answer? He's overwhelmed with the question. But I'm convinced more than ever that at the start of chapter 4, when Jesus calls John up, he calls the church up. So we're there before we move into chapter 5, and we're not only going to see what John sees, this one on the throne, we saw that in chapter 4, with the scroll. He was holding the scroll in last chapter. Okay? And this is where chapters and verses jack us all up. He, he's just now writing about the scroll. He's detailing it out. We're also going to hear the same words that John heard. And when the strong angel proclaims with a loud voice who is worthy and no one was found worthy, I don't know. Maybe people have read their Bibles and studied the book of Revelation are not going to have to fall down and weep much. John is because he hadn't written it yet. But you and me, we're going to be standing there going, wait for it, <laughs> wait for it, wait for it. 
No one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look at it. Wait for it. Life is not looking good for John and others until we get to our good conjunction friend, Mr. But, in verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And those on the ground weeping much will be looking up to this elder going, there is someone? And we'll be able to say, yeah, yeah, bro, it's Jesus. Why? Because we've read ahead. We've read the book. Now, I am, I am 100% positive I will be in heaven before the first seal is removed and the Antichrist comes on the scene. I can't say that with the same certainty that we're going to see exactly what John sees here. But you know what? It makes sense to me. So, Acts 17, 11, Don't believe anything I just said. Go check it out. But it makes sense. Because Jesus has to have the scroll in his hand before the tribulation period starts in chapter 6, verse 1. But that takes place after the rapture of the church, chapter 4, verse 1. So the timing works for me. But again, you go steady. You go read. See if it makes sense to you. Acts 17, 11. Don't believe me. But go see if we're going to see what John sees here. And if you can't, and if, and, and if this doesn't happen then, when does it happen? Did it happen back in 96 AD when John saw it? Well, no, because he saw the church come up into heaven because we're going to see the church worshiping before God in this chapter. So you start to scatter it all around and separate it all out. It works for me. Because if we do see it, it's going to be awesome. As the call goes out, who is worthy? I mean, that's the beauty of the open book test. By the way, if you really care, those are the only ones I ever passed in school, the open book ones. You know, you go to the end in the little concordance thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the answer, I think. You turn to the page, yep, and you write it down. And I mean, here we get the answers before the test is handed out. I mean, we get to see the entire scene before we even get there. Verse 5 again, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's one of the titles of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Where is that? I don't, I'm not telling you anymore. You got a Bible program. If you really want to know to write it in as a footnote, go look it up. It's probably already in your Bible written, though. But just go look for it. Just type in the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You'll find it. Or the Root of David. That actually says the Root of Jesse in the Bible, but it's the same thing. David, Jesse was David's dad. But another name for the Messiah out of the Old Testament. Look for it. He has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. At which point, John's kind of picking himself up. But not us, team, if we get to see this live in heaven as well. We get to learn here. See, as soon as the elder says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals, you had better be jockeying to get a beeline view at the throne of God. You know, don't be going, you know, the throne's over here, kind of be going over here, kind of looking around. No, you better be looking at the throne because the next scene is going to be incredibly awesome because our Jesus is going to appear and he's going to take the scroll out of the Father's hands. How long does that take? Missed it! Okay, I'm helping you here. I don't want you to miss it. But before we get there, 
Can you say this with me? Jesus has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. Say that. Jesus has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Jesus has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Keep going. Jesus has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Keep going. Not Joseph Smith. Keep going. Not the Mormons. Not the Watchtower Society. Jesus has prevailed to open. Keep going. And loose it. Not the Hindus. Not the Muslims. Not the Buddhists. Jesus. You're on the winning team, man. That's got to do something for you. I think we have a tendency to forget about God's great love for us at times. See, when you forget about God's great love for you, then you don't love others. I think we have a tendency to forget. Jesus has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne, I had close to the Father and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, the Father wanting a continual reminder of the actions of his Son. Look what it says here. Sit a lamb as though it had been slain. Your first view of Jesus in heaven. It's right there. That's what you're going to see. So the lamb as though it had been slain. What did that look like? Well, we get a little detail. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Please don't think Jesus had seven horns on his head. As John turns to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, this majestic roaring king of beasts, ready to spring on its prey, as he looks closely, he sees a lamb as though it had been slain for your sin, for my sin. The, the Greek word for lamb here is lambkin or a pet lamb, as in Mary had a little lamb. But not just a pet lamb, but a pet lamb that had been slain, that's bearing the marks of crucifixion. The lamb that speaks of innocence, of meekness, of gentleness, and sacrifice is the one who is to go forth as the mighty conqueror and to take the scroll and to loose the seven seals. The seven horns here speak of complete power or the omnipotence or the all-powerful God. Seven complete horns in the Bible always testify of power. So the all-powerful God. And then we get to see this seven eyes. Doesn't mean he has seven eyes, you know, planted around his head. No, perfect insight or the omniscience or the all-knowing, the all-seeing God here. This is our Jesus. John tells us that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain, so a living sacrifice that bears the marks of this crucifixion, prevailed to open the scroll and the lucid seals. You know, there's an interesting prophecy concerning the coming Messiah in chapter in Isaiah chapter 53, and it says in verse 2, we will see him, the Messiah. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He is common man. In the previous chapter, literally four verses before that in Isaiah 52, so you should cross out that big 53. Isaiah writes, the image of Jesus is marred, that is marred more than any other man. Yeah, because they beat him to death. And thus, when we first see him in heaven, it is possible we might still see the marks of his suffering. 
If that is so, I am certain that will break all of our hearts as we realize he endured all of this for our sin. That may cause us to fall down and weep much. Not because who was worthy, but because we recognize it was for our sin. They'll certainly stir up thanksgiving and praise spontaneously from each one of our hearts if we indeed see him with the marks of suffering and death for all of eternity. I mean, look at this description of Jesus in verse 6. A lamb as though it had been slain. Does that image or description of Jesus match that which is on your wall? Or the ones that you've seen? A lamb as though it had been slain? Or, or how about that cross that you might wear around your neck or those, those earrings? Do they remind you of the most gruesome form of execution? I hope so. Do they remind you of a lamb that was slain? See, the pictures on the crosses are fine as long as I remember what they truly represent. And they represent his body being broken for us is what the picture in my mind should look like as the cross of Calvary should create this image of Jesus going through the cruelest form of torture that you and I might not only have life but have it more abundantly because he gave his life. See, I think we got to allow the image of Jesus here in verse 6 to burn within our hearts. It'll do something to us. Because as we see him here, we will see him there with a constant reminder of what he's done for us. That's got to stir something up within our hearts. Look what it says. Then he, then John, Jesus makes his debut to John, the one who had walked with Jesus three years. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, massive party breaks out, the four living creatures and the 24 elders who also have crowns from chapter 4. Remember, they got crowns from last week. They go crazy. They f fell before the lamb, each having a harp. So they got crowns. They got a harp. They got golden bowls of incense. Man, they got all kinds of stuff going on. And they got the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Prayers often remind us of the, of the Old Testament pictures of the priests with the incense. And as the smoke would go up, so our prayers as they go up like the smoke, right up to the very presence of God. I like the visual reminder here. You know those prayers that you pray? Not my will, but thy will be done, God. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done, not mine. Well, there they are, right here. They're in the golden bowls or the vials full of incense. Please don't ever think that God has not cared for or heard every one of your prayers. He has. He's got them all right here. They're, they're right here. And as Jesus takes the scroll, what do they do? Well, it says they sang a new song. So who's the they? That's the question. Who's the they here singing this new song is the ultimate question of the day. You want some lunch conversation for today? Hey, you are here. They told me you weren't going to be here. <laughs> you miraculously appeared. <laughs> hey, you want some lunch conversation for today? This is it. This can only without hesitation or reservation be the church. Church! Which means the church is in heaven before the tribulation period takes place in chapter 6. Let me say this. It, it kind of sounds like something Pastor Chuck would say. If you're going to sing in heaven when you get there and realize what Jesus has done for you, then will you sing on earth with everything you got? So you got, we got to memorize verses 9 and 10 here. Because when we get there, this is our song. This is the song of the church redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 
In chapter 4, the song was about God's creative work of creation. But here in chapter 5, this song is about the New Testament redemption of the church of Jesus Christ. And again, like Pastor Chuck would say, just get the words down. He'll give you the tune when you get there. So let's read it. Look for the pronouns. You know what a pronoun is? They're in verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed. Is that a pronoun? That's yes. I cheated and looked. <laughs> and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made. Is that a pronoun? With authority. Yeah, yeah, come on, I just told you it was a couple seconds ago. Everyone should have yelled yes. Is that a pronoun? Yeah. Yes, thank you. And have made us kings and priests to our God and. Is that a pronoun? Take a guess. Just guess wrong. Yes, it's yes. And we shall reign on the earth. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff here. So please don't miss the fact that the sinners saved by grace compose the inner circle and not the outer circle. Please notice that. The angels are around the throne, verse 11, but they're not singing this song. Because I don't believe angels need redemption. But look what it says here in verse 8. We are before the Lamb. Verse 8. We're singing our song of redemption. Can you say mind-blowing? A few of you can. I think it's rather mind-blowing. Do you realize that we have been made priests and kings to God? We have been. Now, you may have men in your Bible or them in your Bible in verse 9 and 10 and not we and us. Anybody have a man or them? Yeah, a few. If you do, you need to change it to us and we. You may, be, you may even in those Bibles have footnotes that say the best manuscripts contain the word them. Anybody got that footnote? Okay. So let's challenge that piece of intellect with basic second grade math. There are 95 full and partial Greek manuscripts that were used to write the book of Revelation, but only 23 of those have us and we here in chapter, 20, in chapter 5. Now, a little math might cause us to say, well, Bruce, you dummy, 23 from 95 is not more but less. Well, I understand that, but I haven't given you all the facts yet. Out of the 95 full and partial Greek manuscripts used to write the book of Revelation, only 24 of them contain chapter 5. I would be willing to bet you that that is not in your footnotes, as the scholars conveniently forgot to add that in. So 23 out of the 24 full and partial manuscripts contain the words us and we. So let me see. I have 24 manuscripts to look at. I have 23 of them that contain us and we that place this into heaven, and I have one that uses the word them or men, which we don't really know who that is. Let's see. 24, put the little minus sign, 23, draw the line. Let's see, three from four, that's one. Two from two, that's zero. Wow. We have 23 
and the them and men people, they only have one. You see a problem? Big problem. The, the one Greek manuscript that's different that they use comes out of Egypt. Not all scholars trust it. They don't really like it. However, the modern-day scholars that tell us or that like to write modern-day Bibles today, they use that Alexandrian manuscript from Egypt. Some say you can create a Bible faster by only looking at one. If you still doubt them over us, turn back to chapter 1 and look at verses 5 and 6. Very similar words. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and, to his God and Father. That's us. That's the church. Very similar to chapter 5. You know, on a side note, it really bothers me that scholars can take simple faith and try and compound it with their intellect and make it confusing. But this is us. Before we move on for review purposes, last part of verse 10, when shall we reign on the earth as kings and priests? Well, it's during the millennial reign. The seven-year tribulation starts in chapter 6. It's over at chapter 9, at the end of chapter 19. And in chapter 20, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ as kings and priests. And it's going to last a thousand years. So John looked, verse 11, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and in them or them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. So after we're through singing, it seems the angels start singing. And how many angels? I don't know. Huge crowd. You can do the math. You know, start throwing a bunch of zeros on it. Verse 12 is the angel's song. And these angels were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Starting to see why the gospel is so narrow, the biblical gospel? See, it's Jesus' very act that was when he was slain that gives us the greatest assurances when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Or as Paul wrote, for there is one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. I mean, think about this name, the Lamb. That, Jesus gives himself that for all of eternity. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Out of the thousands of names that Jesus could have chosen for himself, this is what he chooses here. The angels are crying out, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Their singing wakes up all of creation. And man, I'm kind of looking forward to this next scene. Look at verse 13. Now, if we just let, it, let him speak for himself, it says, in every creature which is in heaven. Creature. Well, is that a creature like an animal? I don't know. But if you've always wanted your dog in heaven, this is going to be your best shot right here. Hey, I mean, I'm serious. Let's look how it lays out. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, as such are in the sea, those are creatures, and all that are in them. I heard saying, John heard this team. He also must have seen it as well because he's in heaven. So how do you hear and discern those are creatures in the sea when when you're in heaven, 
I don't know. It's a question I would love to ask. But this is going to be an epic scene, team. Ours will be mind-blowing as we sing our song of the Lamb of Redemption. It'll be amazing to watch this innumerable uh, company of angels say with a loud voice their part. But then there's this epic scene as all of God's creation cries out, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. Wow. Can you say everyone was invited to this coming out party? Yeah, it's the coming out of Jesus. The seven-year wrath of God is preparing to be poured out, but just before that happens, the bride's called up. They're singing their new song, verses 9 and 10. The angels are saying their part, verse 12. And then every creature that needs no redemption are saying their part in verse 13. And all of this points to the lamb who was slain. And you doubt Jesus is God? How can you? Now again, animal lovers, don't miss it. But don't believe me either. And every creature or created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under, under the earth as such as are in the sea, it sure sounds like animals. So is that some animals are in heaven or does the word creature in heaven point to something else? I don't know. I do know this though. In Revelation chapter 19 at the end of the seven year tribu tribulation period, you, you and I who are alive, Jesus, is, it says, is coming back on a white horse, and you and I are coming back on a white horse with them, so th there's got to be horses somewhere. I don't know where they are, but they're somewhere. And yet before all of that happens, all of creation cries out here in verse 13, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever and ever and ever. Please don't miss the fact and the truth that the Father and the Son here are given equal glory and equal worship by all of creation at the end of verse, 15, at the end of verse 13. You see it there? Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and they're joined together. You can't separate them. And to the Lamb forever and ever. So what's assigned to one is assigned to both. Then the four living creatures said, as they join in in this party, Amen! Bring it on! So be it! Make it happen! And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Do you realize, born again, spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ, you don't die? You don't. Jesus Christ died that you and I might have eternal life and live forever and ever and ever and ever Jesus' own words, John eleven twenty six, 26. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I mean, that, that's got to be your own faith. Do you believe this? He's asking them. What does death and eternal life have, have in common? Nothing for those who belong to Jesus. If you on this earth today can with all your heart sing, you alone, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have, re have redeemed me by your blood, then you'll never die. The confession of Jesus Christ as my master on this earth will result in salvation and eternal life in heaven. That's our great hope, church. But... If you wait to confess Jesus as Lord for the first time in heaven as God, at God's final judgment, it will be too late and you will live a life eternally separated from God in the lake of fire. I'm just being truthful with you. 
Well, I prayed a prayer, Pastor. I'm not talking about praying no prayer. I'm talking about, is he the master of your life? Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, very clearly, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, master, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's salvation. But is he master? Only you can answer that. The, the Lamb's choice is not for any to be eternally separated from God in the lake of fire. No, that's, that's the devil's choice. God's choice is that everybody would get in. For whosoever believes shall not perish. In Revelation 5, Jesus claims his purchased possession. He, he, he bought by his blood as he defeated death at the cross. And in chapter 6 next week, Jesus starts to peel off the seals on the scroll as he exercises his authority of the, over the earth. you got to read ahead. Please do more than just think about these end time events in the book of Revelation that are going to come to pass. you got to do more than just think about them. you got to own them. you got to be vigilant. you got to be praying. you got to be continually ready and, and waiting and watching for the Lord's return. Our master commanded it out of Luke chapter 21, verse 36. This is what he said. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You and I, we all know we're not worthy. So that means we got to be tied into the one who is worthy because he makes us worthy. It's critical. I mean, that's our Lord instructing us how to stay ready and sharp for his near return team. We got the instructions, we get the picture, we get the view, we get to see the end of the movie before it actually even takes place. And God's saying, hey, come on, let's live it out loud now. Because we're going to live it there. Today's the day to be ready for salvation in heaven. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the looks here.